Open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we've been in 1 John now for a while. Uh, we took a little bit of a break last week um, from 1 John as we uh, celebrated uh, New City's 8th birthday or anniversary or whatever you want to call it. Um, just don't call it homecoming. Not yet. Um, remember, we're going to wait till year 10 before we can do that. Um, so, but we are in 1 John. Uh, we've been looking through the series Basic Christianity. Um, and if you remember, what we have really come to figure out is that when we say basic Christianity, um, that really kind of means radical Christianity. Like, there's no such thing as a basic Christian. Um, so if we are following Christ, we're going to do so pretty radically. So uh, today, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. Um, the title is Overcoming the World. Um, that's not anything very creative. My Bible actually has that as the little subheading on the side. So... Um, that's what we'll be today. Um, two weeks ago, uh, before we took our break, we looked at the fact that God is love. And um, what we were reminded of is that God loves us. He loves his people. And we see that love put on display um, in and through the work of Christ. And because of that, then our lives should reflect his love for us. Right. So if if we truly love God, if we truly know God and we truly understand that God loved us first, then our lives should be a reflection of his love. Now, that love, the love of Christ in us and the hope of God's love for us then allows us and it really compels us to abide in love, to live reflecting the love of God, to live trusting the love of God. Now, this week, as we uh, move into chapter 5, we actually continue talking about love, but with a little bit of a different twist, right? So, um, specifically, what we will be seeing today is, is love and obedience. Um, that in our love and in our obedience, we are actually showing um, our love for Christ um, and, and the faith we have in Him and here's the main idea, that a Christian will overcome because his life will be marked by love and obedience because of faith in Jesus, right? We can only love purely and we can only be obedient in honor and into the glory of God if we are trusting that salvation is from God himself. If you will, let's stand. I'm going to read um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to pray for our time together, and we will dive in to this text. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we um, come now to this portion where we open your word um, together, I pray in trust 
that it will not return void. God, I pray that as we work through this text, that it will continue to dig deep roots into our souls so that we would be changed even more into the image of Christ. God, I pray that you will encourage those who have trusted in you but may be just struggling. Let them see and be reminded that you love us greatly. And because you love us greatly, we are free to live for your glory. God, for those who are here that are I'm skeptical, they're questioning whether or not this is valid. May they sense the true goodness and the gracious and the greatness that you have and that you are and the love that you bestow to your people, that their hearts would be surrendered to you. God, I pray that as we work through this text, we will be reminded of what it means to live in grace knowing that we're not saved by our works or our merit, but that we're saved by the all-sufficient saving work of Jesus. So God, we come now asking that you would bless the reading of your word. We come asking that you will tear down any walls that we have right now that are keeping us from receiving the message you would have for us. That you would soften our hearts and you would prepare our ears for hearing and understanding. God, we ask that your spirit would speak to us through your word. And we ask all of this in the glorious name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So right off the bat, when we begin to dive in, we see first that overcoming begins with faith in Jesus. Again, verse 1, the first part of that, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the very first thing we have to understand is that if we are to overcome, which is exactly what these five verses are referring to, we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own power. We can't do it on our own authority. We can't do it on our own works because ultimately at the end of the day, we are all sinners. And because we are sinners, we can't satisfy the wrath of God for sin. We must Trust in another, Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb. So we must surrender to Him. We must surrender to Him for salvation. We must trust in Christ and Christ alone. The good news is that when we surrender to Christ, and with that we receive the promise of assurance that yes, once we are truly saved, then we are saved and we are held tightly in the grasp of a sovereign God. Salvation cannot be given up. Salvation cannot be lost because salvation was not earned. 
It was a gracious gift by the King of glory. And our assurance comes from this, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice the past tense. Now remember, those who rightly confess Jesus as Lord and Savior are covered by the same grace that you are. So love them as Christ loves you. Isn't it interesting how many times we just assume that our salvation is better than someone else's? Or that how we can put ourselves on a pedestal if we assume that God has saved us, so we must be special. But the beauty of what we see right here in the very first part of verse 1 is that everyone who believes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that is, that they have rightly confessed Jesus is the only way that they could be saved. They have trusted Him with their life. They confess that He is both Lord and Savior, has been born of God. So it starts with faith in Christ. And it leads to love for others. How is that so? Again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And that God demonstrates His own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. God, looking down through time, knew who we were. He knew our sin. He knew our faults. He knew our shame, our failures. And He died anyway to save His people from their sins. And so that gives us no right to condemn. Romans 8 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is now at the right hand of God the Father. So overcoming begins with faith in Christ. And that overcoming through the work of Christ leads us to live differently. Which leads us into the second portion of this text. To show us the marks of the true Christian. Look at the latter part of verse 1. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. That is, talking about the love of God leading to the love of His people. Everyone who loves the Father will love other Christians, love other believers. Why? Because if we love God, truly love God, not just by association, not just saying we love God, but that is we understand the grace that has been shown to us in Christ, that we understand who we were and that we're no longer that person because of the love of God displayed in Christ towards us. If we truly love God and we're surrendered to Him and we believe that He is the only hope we have for salvation, then loving others becomes second nature. It's not an option. Have you ever heard people say before that they have, you know, they have the right to not love someone? No, that's not true. Why? 
because God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. If anyone had the option to not love someone based on who they were or what they did, it was God towards us. But he loved us despite us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Now, typically, we only look at 1 Corinthians 13 as a Valentine's or a wedding passage. Far from it, right? Because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the the need for the spiritual gifts that God has given for the church and, and that those should be used for the building up of the church to the glory of Christ. And at the end of chapter 12, he says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. So he goes through all these gifts and how wonderful they are as gifts by God for his church. And he says, but I'm still going to show you something more excellent. And then he goes into a whole chapter talking about love. It's patient and it's kind. How often are we not patient with others? Yet God is so graciously and mercifully patient with us. It does not envy or boast. How often are Christians the most prideful people That you can find. It is not arrogant or rude. We treat others as if they're not worthy of receiving the grace of God. It does not insist on its own way. We try to force our own thoughts. We try to force our own beliefs. It is not irritable or resentful. So we don't hate people when they disagree with us. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. What? The truth that Christ is supreme over all. And that love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. And so he goes on to verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God. And we love God and obey His commandments. So... Our love for other Christians, our love for others, proves our love for God. And it works both ways, right? Our love of God is magnified in our love for others. And we love because we have been loved. Past tense. We have been loved. And there is nothing that we can do to take the love of God away from us. Because the love of God is a perfect love. 
It truly is a love that does not end. It is a love laced with the grace and mercy of a perfect king. But if we are to love, we have to begin with a right view of love. Not love according to worldly standards, not the love we read about in magazines or in books or in movies. Not a love that is defined by cultural standards. It is the love of God displayed for us in Christ Jesus. For God demonstrates His own love for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. True love begins with God. John Calvin says this, he says, Men are rightly and duly loved when God holds the primacy. For it often happens that we love men apart from God, as unholy and carnal friendships regard only private advantages or some other vanishing objects. Listen to that first part again. Men are rightly and duly loved when what? When God holds the primacy. God is the beginning and God is the end. He is the definition of love and He always will be. And His love never ends. And for us as the people of God, the only possible way for us to love like this is when we have surrendered ourselves fully to the love of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we have been born again. The new birth changes us. We have become a new creation. We are no longer who we were. Do we still struggle with sin? Of course, because we're sinful human beings. But our sin is no longer holding us captive. We have been set free through the work and the blood of Christ. That's why when... Nicodemus asked, what must I do to be born again? Or what must I do to be saved? The constant answer is, you must be born again. George Whitfield, in many of his revivalist sermons, would preach that message. You must be born again. Um, there was this one instance where um, this little old lady, after preaching a revival, come to him and asked, you know, why do you keep preaching the same message? And he says, because you must be born again. Danny Aiken commenting on this passage says this. He says, the new birth of regeneration. And again, we, we need to understand what that is referring to, right? If we are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. That means because of sin, someone has to die. The wages of our sin is death. The penalty of our sin is death. The result of our sin leads to death. So Christ comes and He dies in our place for our sins. He dies the death that we should have died to pay the debt that we owed. And God in His graciousness and His mercy pours out all of His wrath for all of the sin of all of His people for all of eternity on His Son, and He destroys His Son. And some people say that's cruel. It's 
Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That was God's plan. That God would demonstrate his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, he would destroy his son so that we could be seen as righteous sons and daughters. And I know growing up in the South, it's easy to just hold tight to morality and being a good Southern boy and girl and that'll, that'll be enough, but that's just not the case. We either trust Christ or we don't. We're either a child of the king or we are a child of Satan. There is simply no middle ground. So I encourage you and I urge you to be born again, to trust in Christ. That's the new birth of regeneration. So again, Danny Aiken says, the new birth of regeneration, that is completely trusting in Christ for salvation, not my works, not my own abilities, not my morality, but the new birth of regeneration brings us into a relationship with God as Father. This Father first loved us, not we loving Him. He loves us first. And now we love Him for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. Not in temporal blessings, not in what we so often say is the reason we follow Christ, but He loved us and has done for us in Christ. He substituted His Son in our place. He says, however, we are not only... We not only love the Father, we also love the family the Father is building. We love, we will love our brothers and sisters, the ones born of Him. It's love and it's obedience. Again, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. My love for God and His love for me is seen in the way that I obey. I can say all day and all night for the rest of my life that I love the Lord, but if I'm not living in obedience to Him all of that is simply moot. If I truly love God, I will obey His commands. And I love that He adds, and it's not burdensome. It's a joyful obedience. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees are trying to stump Jesus with all of their many 600-something-plus laws, and they say, Teacher, which is, the greatest command, which is the great commandment in the law? As if to say, one is more important than the other, so you better choose rightly or you get it wrong, and we have it right. So they say, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything hinges on that, that we love God because He has loved us. And if we are loving God because of His love for us, then we absolutely will love others. So Christians will love others because we have been, again, past tense, loved by God. And we will love God's way. That is both present and future. It is a love that continues. 
And his way is to care ultimately about the souls of those around us. The greatest act of love that can be displayed by us, for us, displaying it to other people is that their souls need to be redeemed. Not that we simply feed someone or clothe someone or house someone or care for someone in some temporal, um, just minute way, but ultimately that they would come to know Christ. Now those things could be a tool. We're the drop-off location for Operation Christmas Child, but the ultimate goal of those boxes is that those kids would come to know Christ. Which is why we pray over those boxes and we pray For the recipients of those boxes that they would trust Jesus. So we can care for temporal needs, but we must not neglect the care of the heart. The heart is the point. And when we talk about obedience, a lot of us, by nature, want to buck. right? Because no one wants to submit to commands, right? It's just not in our nature. We don't want to surrender to anyone. But again, as we see in verse 3 specifically, our obedience as Christians is greatly different than our natural understanding of obedience because we are new creatures, right? We obey joyfully because God has changed who we are. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're not who we were. And Paul writes again in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Strong language. I not simply surrender, I have been crucified with Christ. And I now understand that my one purpose in this life is to do the Lord's work for the Lord's glory. And that in doing that is where I find the most joy. Danny Aiken again commenting says this, Loving God rightly is not just external behavior and outward obedience. It is a longing to do His will from the heart. Out of gospel gratitude for who He is and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. It is not an I have to obedience. It is an I want to obedience. I love to obey this King. Are we willingly submitting to the leading of God? Are we simply saying we love God by association and name only? Or are we actively obeying Him? Now it's important to remember our obedience isn't so we can check off boxes and receive merit towards salvation. We obey because we have already been loved. Right? There's a huge difference there. Ephesians 5.1, right? Typically talking about um, the relationship between 
um, husbands and wives, and it's a reflection of Christ and His church, but it starts, be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate God because we have been loved by God. We don't imitate God to be loved by God, but because we are the beloved of God. So the marks of, some of the marks of a true Christian are our love and our obedience. And it's easy for us to probably sit back and say, yeah, I love the brothers. But do we? If we were to analyze our speech towards others, our actions toward others, our social media posts, do we actually love others? The way God in Christ has loved us. And am I surrendering to the Lord's desire for my life? Now, let's look at faith that overcomes. Verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Before we can unpack verses 4 and 5, we have to go back to verse 1 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Just because someone doesn't think the way we think or act the way we, the way we act or do things the way we think they should be done or live in such a way that we think is right doesn't mean they don't know Christ. And that's a hard one sometimes. Are there certain things in their life that would point to whether or not they trust Christ? Yes, but some of those things are not necessarily so. We might hold to strong convictions in certain areas, but that might not be a reflection on whether or not they love Christ or not. We have to look at the fruit that is being presented. Does the fruit of our life show that we have truly loved and Surrendered to Christ. Because if we still hold to this reality that salvation is about what we can do and what we can attain, we're missing it completely. It's not about that at all. It's about what God in Christ has done for us. So if anyone is to overcome this world, he will do it not because he is morally right, but because he is covered by the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is, the Christian's faith is in the mighty hand of God, not himself. It's not our faith in our faith that overcomes. It's our faith in Christ. If we rely on our faith alone, 
will fail quickly. But our faith in Christ and the work He has done and who He is never fails. He never lets us go if we have trusted in Him. Why is that? Because He is the one who has conquered sin in the grave. Not us. It's Christ who died. It's Christ who was raised. And it's Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. So if you would desire to overcome this world and not fall victim to sin and Satan, you must turn to Jesus. To echo the Gospels, to echo George Whitfield, you must be born again. It's not about the works you can do. It's not about the boxes you can check. It's about trusting in Christ and Christ alone. He is your only hope. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy to follow the Lord. It won't be easy to submit to His will. In fact, it may be more difficult. But it will also be more joy-filled. Knowing that I'm His and He is mine. Knowing that He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. And are called according to his purpose. And so I do want to offer a little encouragement. Are you trying to overcome and failing? Then maybe, just maybe, you're trying to overcome on your own power. You can't. How many people feel hopeless because they're trying to do things on their own and they fail. But the good news of the gospel is we don't have to take that path. We can trust in Christ who has taken our shame. He's taken our burdens upon himself. So trust in Jesus. Trying to do it alone. If you continue to try to do it alone, you will be miserable because you will understand that you constantly fail. Only Jesus can save. So trust Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning asking that you would reveal yourself to us. That we would understand our desperate need for you. That we would trust you and you alone for salvation. And that as we come to trust you and as we are saved by you, that our lives then will reflect your glory as we love and serve you joyfully. We ask your graciousness on this time. 
that you reveal yourself to us through the working of your spirit. That you would do so by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.